This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. This week, we are welcoming Travis Goodman to the show. Travis is a licensed marriage and family therapist that has been practicing for nearly a decade. He's built a platform online called Therapy for Dads, and he assists partners and couples transition into parenthood. I've invited Travis on the show today to help us unpack dad's adjustment in the postpartum period, what some of the red flags are that they're having a hard time, and what we can do to help support them. We kick off our chat with a really interesting conversation about the definition of strength and what it means, themes that come up in his practice with dads in areas that they struggle, and red flags to be on the lookout for if you think your partner might be struggling in their adjustment. This is a great episode for both mom and dad to listen to, to make sure that everybody is well supported. Let's hear my conversation with Travis. When was the last time you truly felt like yourself? If you're not sure about the answer, it's time to think about your mental health. As moms, we often put ourselves on the back burner. From the moment our babies are born, our days and nights are full of responsibility, leaving it hard to sleep well, eat properly, exercise, or take care of ourselves. The more we neglect our own needs, the worse our mental health can become, leading to depression, anxiety, or other mental health struggles. But your mental health matters. The Happiest Mother Wellness Center can help. We have a growing team of mom therapists across Canada ready to offer teletherapy services. With teletherapy, you can save time and hassle by accessing virtual appointments from anywhere on your desktop, laptop, tablet, or phone. We know you're busy, so we make it as simple as possible to connect with a therapist. It's time to put yourself back on the priority list. Visit happyasamother.co slash book to schedule your free consult today. That's happyasamother.co slash book. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we're dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. We all had expectations going into motherhood, but reality often has a different plan. Let's work together in shattering unrealistic expectations, letting go of shame and guilt, and accepting where we are on our motherhood journey. We'll pack a toolbox for motherhood with expert advice, practical tips, relatable stories, real moments, and honest conversations. My goal is to give you the knowledge, tools, and resources you need to parent more freely. However, this podcast should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. It's time to do motherhood differently, toss out the idea of perfect, and enjoy the journey. Let's dive in. Travis, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show today. I don't know how I came across you on Instagram, but I have to tell you that moms are constantly asking me for accounts like mine, but for their partners and their husbands. So when we came in contact, I was so excited and I had to have you on. So thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Erica. I'm really curious how you began to niche down in to therapy for dads or into the Instagram page that you have, because I know we kind of start off as generalists in our therapy field, right? How did that page come about for you? Yeah. So, 
it came from both personal experience as well as just seeing, I do see a lot of men in my practice as a licensed marriage and family therapist out here in California. So just seeing men, seeing fathers, hearing some themes and trends that are pretty typical of men in general and dads. And through my, our own kind of birth experience, long story short for this is that my wife and I took us about six years to get pregnant, went through some infertility not issues, but went through some infertility checks and, and processes. I found a wife had PCOS and going through all that. Mm. What does that mean? And how do we deal with that? And I mean, long story short, we did get pregnant, but it took about six years. Oh, um, wow. That's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Long time. So we, you know, had ups and downs to the whole process. And I was a therapist at the time. I remember we started trying after grad school because we, we wanted me to get through grad school first before we wanted to try to have kids, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. when you start trying and you realize how little power you have of getting pregnant. And when you realize that the peak of fertility is around 33%, you're like, oh, there is that. For some people, it just works. And it's surprisingly miraculous that, you know, people get pregnant on the first try. It's like, wow, okay. And really the average is at least a year. And so trying to going through all that, start showing our story and talking about it and found that a lot of people went through it. Uh, Initially went through the whole feeling isolated, like what's wrong and trying to how do I support my wife through this and her emotions, ups and downs of dealing with that and my experience. And so through that, you know, talking with other men and couples and on my own personal side, just hearing their stories. And that was very empowering to hear. You know, it's funny as a therapist, you teach people and train, hey, don't don't isolate, but talk and you'll find that you are not alone. And I think initially early on, we didn't talk and, and like wasn't doing what I was teaching and realized I need to do the very thing that I was teaching and found, oh yeah, this is much better. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so that was part of the process. And knowing that dads, I think, had an experience that often weren't asked of them. And then talking to other friends who went through their own stuff with miscarriages and their own infertility issues and child loss. And just dads weren't typically asked of their, how are they doing? And I'm very much generalizing here because yes, there are men that are asked, of course, but generally speaking, even in hospital settings, dad aren't asked, hey, dad, how are you doing? You know, it's more of how's mm-hmm. mom doing, which is nothing wrong with that. We need to ask how mom's doing. We need to check in with mom 100%. But there's just kind of this this empty space where, in general, men are just expected to be, to perform, to be okay, to just stand by. But not like, hey, how are you doing that your wife just went through miscarriage? How are you doing that your wife had emergency C-section? How are you doing that? You know, just how are you? And so hearing these stories kind of birthed that and said, you know, I want to create initially the podcast therapy for dads was I want to create a space for dads sharing their stories of essentially their experience through miscarriages, their experience through traumatic births, their experience through all these things that typically just aren't asked and create a platform for that. And the Instagram was also that just to kind of bring good education. And since then it's, it's evolved a bit. I think like most things do, they evolve. And, and while stories are powerful and they still are sharing our story is extremely powerful I also saw a whole of really trying to help men and fathers in general, just trying to bring good education around holistic mental health and kind of talking about some of the barriers that men are facing, trying to normalize it being a father and a man myself, just trying to say, hey, this is just, yes, I'm a therapist, but I'm also a dad. I'm also a guy. And so how do I just normalize this and not make it this kind of creepy, weird, odd thing, you know, all the barriers that men face Mm -hmm. and just trying to be a face to be friendly to say, Hey, just, let's just talk about it. Let's have community. So I've been now bringing on other guests to have good education on topics that men have faced and just in general, just holistic health that pertains yes to men, but also to women. 
and just really bringing good education. So that's kind of where it started, where it birthed from, and kind of how it's evolved over the past year and a half. Yeah, It's been pretty incredible to see. I've met some incredible people across the world that also want to help men and fathers. And it's pretty cool to see that people really want to make this better, but there's still a lot of barriers, still a lot of stigma, still a lot of, I feel, miscommunication out there. There's still a lot of I see still a lot of unhelpful things out there on both sides. Mm -hmm. I've seen accounts even that are unhelpful, I think, on both ends. And I think that we need to have more accounts or people that are trying to build bridges and create conversation and curiosity and empathy and care and love. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you mentioned that feeling isolated piece. Mm -hmm. And I think about men and dads, husbands, partners, maybe generally speaking, but specifically men, because there's some of these male coded behaviors, right? In terms of gender stereotypes, where it's kind of like, you got to stiff upper lip it. Mm -hmm. Or I've even heard it expressed that, well, my wife would like nearly died in childbirth. Like, how could I be the one that needs the help, you know? And so there feels like I don't know. I can imagine the isolation because of the pullback or the withdrawal or Mm -hmm. the holding on to the experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely isolation is a big one when I've talked with dads and men around that because there is that you're you're alluding to those stigmas and kind of some of the ways that men have been taught to deal, like stiff upper lip, being stoic, being quote unquote strong and a very narrow view of strength, right? It tends to be, you know, one dimensional view of strength, I call it or kind of taking some of these healthy masculine traits and kind of squashing them a bit to be like, this is what it should look like. And so men are, I got to be strong. I, you know, I just got to support my partner, my wife, my spouse, you know, I can't think about me. So more survival mode of like, what do I, how do I take care? How do I fix? How do I solve? Which there's good in that, like nothing inherently wrong or evil. But the problem is often men then don't ever check in with themselves because they're not taught yeah, to. Yeah, it's at a cost. It's, at a, it's cost. at a cost of themselves. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so they don't know how to check in with themselves. They don't know what to do. So it's like, why? Well, I, I just got to focus outwardly and externally. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You bring up the concept of strength, and I'm just really like chewing on this here for a moment because I do think that being stoic and being sort of emotionless or even keel or whatever we want to use to describe it is perceived as strength. And I'd love for us to unpack what is strength really? Like, what does that really mean? Because I think that we need to expand our minds here a little bit, especially as we're going to talk about fathers adjusting postpartum and where they might struggle and where partners might struggle. This concept of strength, I think, is important to define from the jump, you know, because it's a theme that'll weave throughout. When you think about strength in the context of healthy masculinity versus more it's been termed in research and, you know, toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. sort of traits, Mm -hmm. when we think about it in the healthy masculine way, what does strength look like? The best way I would say is that it depends on the context. Mm. I think it varies from moment to moment. And I think strength in some cases will look like some level of you know, you think of like a firefighter. So strength in that would look a lot like bravery Mm. and courage to run into a burning building where there is going to be some level of emotional kind of not full disconnection, but say, I need to put this on the side because I have a job to do to save someone. Because if I were to actually sit with my emotions right now of how terrifying it is to run into a burning building that I might die, I won't be able to perform my duty to save this person in a burning building. Mm -hmm. So in one sense, there is a positive to that type of 
stoic, mm-hmm. you know, let's just put emotions here from it because I have a job and task to do to help and rescue someone. Mm-hmm. Now on the flip, I've actually worked with some first responders is that helping them in their home is like, Hey, this version of strength is helpful in your job. So you can perform your job to help and save people. Now I need to help teach you. Okay. Strength can also look like in an emotional relationship an intimate relationship, learning to be vulnerable because it takes a lot of courage to open yourself up to those emotions. And that takes a lot of strength, strength in quotes to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I can actually show a soft side. So it's really about this spectrum, this balance of strength can vary depending on the context. And those are kind of two extremes, but it's going to have a variance there. And so where you tend to get stuck in the toxic masculinity, and it's such a term used, I, I like the term unhealthy or unbalanced masculine traits, Yeah, yeah. is that it becomes this narrow view that it has to look like this. And if it doesn't look like this, then it means something else. It means something's wrong. You're weak or you're this or you're that. Or you're some other slur that men have been told on the playground or by coaches or by something. And there's a, mm. I won't repeat them, but you could, I'm sure you could think of random things that men have been told or maybe even said it to a guy around, not you particularly, I'm just generalizing your listeners, but really it's going to vary mm-hmm. depending on the context. And so it's learning to accept that there are times when that is needed to be strong where you're kind of, I just need to get a job done to hold off on this emotional state, but I need to come back around to figure out well, how am I actually doing? And that's the part that isn't often talked about is how do we round that kind of that strength out? How do we round the person out? How do we help them equip them with the skills and tools and resources to be able to kind of round that whole thing out mm-hmm. to be balanced? Yeah, no, I totally see what you're saying. Strength being courage and bravery. And you're talking about first responders. I think about crisis mode where like your tunnel vision and all that matters is figuring out that moment and the strength and courage that comes with that. And I think about my husband in like the labor and delivery room when he essentially hushed all the midwives who were having an inappropriate conversation and I was in labor and he's like, this isn't for here, like stop, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think about that. And then there's this other strength where when we're outside of those moments, how can we face our emotion or process it or have vulnerable conversations. I think that in my own life, the things that have required the most strength and bravery for me are the most vulnerable things. So opening Mm -hmm. up to my husband to the degree of intimacy that we have or putting myself out in front of audiences, whether I want to wet myself or not, you know, like that is strength too. Mm -hmm. And I think that one is often shown and portrayed for men without the other because mm-hmm. of the very narrowed display of gender that men are allowed to have in our society, that we miss this other really important piece of strength from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or it's been shut down in our men and in our boys throughout their lives. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I agree. Some of those biggest things for me, too, have been personally in my life when I've opened up to my wife or even close friends. Like that takes a tremendous amount of, and I tell men all the time, you coming to therapy and being vulnerable for a lot of men is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, I tell them, you are showing tremendous amount of courage and strength to come here and sit down in my office and say this. Like, mm-hmm. and I'm even now when I say it to them, I'm trying to normalize, hey, this is also what strength can look like. Like, like you were saying is this is the other part of it. It's helping the balance mm-hmm. full spectrum of, hey, this is just what it can look like. But that sometimes takes men a while to kind of catch on because, again, they've been so trained to all the stigmas. Well, I even see it with my boys where people are like, oh, don't cry. Like, you're fine. Suck it up. I have three boys, right? And I'm like, oh, you're allowed, like, you fell, you hurt your knee, you're allowed to cry, it hurts, yeah. you know? 
and just allowing for that full display of emotion. Yeah, not shutting, not squashing the emotion, yeah. but saying, hey, it's okay. Yeah, we don't want to squash. Yeah. And that's even with girls too. Girls can be told this, you know, for sure. Girls have been told, don't feel, you know, it's more so with men, right? Because it's that boys don't cry. And I have two boys myself. Mm. But often it's like, no, they're, they're, their emotions are telling them something. How do I acknowledge it, validate, be present to it and help them understand that it's okay. It's safe. Emotions are safe. And I think a lot of men, emotions aren't safe, right? I think that's the key is it's not safe. I can't feel. Mm-hmm. And so they have to squash it. And they had to squash it to survive probably their childhood, their family, you know, the playground, their sports teams. Like they had to learn over probably thousands of repeated experiences. Emotions aren't safe, specifically being vulnerable. I can only show this. This is okay. Anger, aggression. And this is not safe. And I've been told repeated times, implicitly, explicitly that I can't do it. Mm Mm-hmm. And so no wonder why when men become dads, if that's been their experience, it's hard for them to open up Yeah, because their brain has been trained and they have a neural pathway that's been really continually reinforced that don't do these things. Mm-hmm. Don't ever do these things. Do this. Mm-hmm. And so I think even with men, sometimes when they have to be vulnerable, they don't know how because they had to shut that down for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can see how when it's been minimized and shut down and you build this avoidance sort of knee-jerk reaction to avoid. Mm -hmm. And when we haven't spent time hanging out in something, we've not built the skills to tolerate it. So Mm -hmm. when emotions do surface, and like if we're talking a time where there are any more emotions in life than pregnancy and postpartum, right? And all of the roller coaster rides that you go on throughout that process, and our knee-jerk reaction is to avoid when these big feelings come up because we haven't learned how to sit in this emotion. It's a set of skills to be learned. And as therapists, I know that we know this, but it's not that you can't and it's not that it can't be done, but there are skills to do it if, again, we see the value in this type of strength and can lean into it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. And I think even looking at our nervous system, you know, polyvagal theory, right, would say that our nervous system, I think for some men, certain emotions, that's a cue of threat. Hmm. So their nervous system is going to go into fight or flight response. Therefore, I need to survive this because this is not a safe thing for me. Logically, they're not going to fully get that. That's more of a nervous system response. They push back because this is this is a threat. To feel this is a threat. To feel sadness is a threat. So I have to do something. So they go in that kind of fix it, fight, flight mode. I got to which you might even see it manifest in maybe anger, things like that, maybe shutting down, Mm -hmm. maybe numbing out, things like that, because that's a threat to their nervous system because it was essentially, it is a threat. If you think of it in that term of like a fight, fight, survival mode, that can harm me, right? That feeling can harm me. So no, I need to survive this. Their nervous system gets activated, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think for some people seeing it from that perspective as a nervous system response, just like trauma, just like most things, say, okay, I need to help this guy regulate by saying it's okay. Like, how do I help his nervous system know that this isn't a threat, that this is okay? Mm-hmm. But the problem is some of these men have had really bad experiences with certain emotions around people. And so their brain remembers, oh, that's a threat. I will never go there again because I was told don't cry. So that's a threat, right? right. So there's there's also this kind of subconscious response to certain emotional states for some men. I'm not, not for all, but for some. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the whole idea of probably turning and facing a wave of emotion can probably feel very daunting, right? And I know that before I had the regulation skills that I have, thanks to years of school and practice, 
is like I used to have a real fear of being fused with an emotion. Like I would be in it and I would never get out of it and it would overtake me Mm -hmm. and it would just be who I am kind of feeling. And so I think there's just, there's a lot there. But I think that this conversation is so important for us to have when we're talking about adjusting in the postpartum period with fathers because one, we want to understand that there are many facets and perspectives of strength. And two, that emotions have not been, uh, they've been minimized and shut down along gender stereotypes in a lot of ways, and that these are skills that can be learned. Mm -hmm. But I feel like this sets the ground for when we're talking about postpartum and going through this adjustment, there are many big feelings and there are many big things that happen. And we know that fathers are at risk, one out of 10 fathers for postpartum depression and anxiety and going through their own really significant and real hardships in this adjustment in their identity. And so I'm curious, like what you see in terms of those struggles or themes for your clients and men in the postpartum period when talking about these emotions and things that come up for them. Yeah. So some of the adjustments, there's there's a lot that I think men adjust. Even myself, I remember with me, I had to adjust. It's just, gosh, the sleep deprivation just that's a big one. <laughs> Even for me personally, I remember yeah. just how wrecked we were. And our firstborn had significantly horrific colic. Yeah, we were not sleeping at all, you know, maybe two hours at a time. I mean, it was just, it was literally survival mode. But I remember even personally, I'll speak from experience, then I'll, I'll share some anecdotal stuff I've had from seeing men. Is I remember, you know, due to that lack of sleep, which a lot of men will face, obviously women too, um, but men will face that lack of sleep, is your irritability goes up, Mm. your level to regulate yourself because you're not sleeping goes down. Yes. So your threshold for any type of like your frustration tolerance, it's just like, it's like a hair trigger. Therefore, then conflict can go up between you and your spouse because you both are sleep deprived. And then, you know, you could just be arguing, but there's no point. There's no reason to argue. And so my wife and I, when we realized that we said, oh, this is just because we haven't slept. Like, mm-hmm. I love you. I care for you. We're trying to support each other, but we're both just, we're just so tired that we're both fighting over like where the wipes are, but we're not, it's like, we're just stressed. Right. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we started to say, Hey, this is, this is the, the sleep deprivation. So we, we kind of came up with ways of cueing ourselves in and saying, no, I'm so sorry. Like I need to, but this is not, I'm not meaning to do this. And so we started to like have more grace for each other in that state and say, Oh, this is what this is. Like we actually do care for each other. But if you don't have that conversation with your partner, and I think that's the key. The one thing I see is lack of conversation mm-hmm. with continual conversation, especially with the transition and understanding of both experience that can cause significant crashes and issues Yeah, because then you're both going to get into like your own survival state. And how do I just navigate this? And if you're kind of like your own Island, I mean, you might do some things well, but you're both going to see each other as the enemy subconsciously because it's like, well, you don't care. For, and then you're going to have all these it's conceptions of, they don't care that, you know, they're not doing what they need to do. And then, so the it's really keeping that can come oh, up, yeah, right? Time. Like, well, I did this and you didn't do that. And I did more of this and just, right. you know, not recognizing and seeing each other's physical yeah. load that we carry and the invisible load that each other oh, is carrying. Yeah. And it's a big one. Yeah. 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 The invisible load on both men and women mm-hmm. and the scorekeeping because you're tired and frustrated. And so having to flip that saying, oh, I'm just tired. This is a big transition. And we're both working here. How do we support? How would we be a team? And that's the one thing. When people are struggling, is there's a lack of teamness, a lack of team effort, that it becomes more individualistic. And so 
but once I see them having a team and they start to realize, oh, we both are experiencing this and we have our own thing and we're actually both doing a lot here. And how do we, and maybe I need to communicate. I need some more support from you today. And, and it isn't just this 50, 50, like, you know, quid pro quo. Well, like, well, I did the dishes. So you got to do the diaper. It's like, I mean, even John Gottman talks about this and merit, you know, how do you make a relationship work is like, you know, quid pro quo is not it. It's all about balance. And depending on the context, it's going to look like this day to day. Like it's not like always we're all 50, 50, it's like 60, 40, 70, 30. Mm-hmm. And it's shifting depending on where you are in any given moment. And it's, yeah. if that's how you approach it of checking in, then you guys are going to navigate it. But that one, lack of communication, sleep deprivation, I think for some men too, adjusting to feeling bonded to their baby mm-hmm. is a big one for them. How do I bond? I don't feel bonded. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MomWell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MomWell. ZocDoc.com slash MomWell. Want to get smarter about your health but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mealtime with kids can be stressful. But with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. 
Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. Oh, I'm going to bring it right now. I feel like there's some real gatekeeping stuff that happens here. And there's a, there's a mixture of things. Sure. I feel like. Okay, here, I'm going to break it down. This is my perspective. Okay, do Travis, then you yeah. give it to me. Do it, do it. It's like, okay, we're gendered to think that, you know, certain tasks are mother tasks and certain tasks are father tasks. And so when we find ourselves in this role, I went through this. I'm like, I'm going to just champion this good mother sort of ideal I have in my mind. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to do the night wakings and I'm going to change the diapers and I'm going to do all the things. This is my baby. This is what moms do. Mm -hmm. And in trying so hard to fulfill our role, Mm -hmm. sometimes I think what happens is fathers can get pushed to the side a little bit or not be given as much opportunity to come in and learn their role and gain confidence in their role in the way that is so needed so early on. Mm-hmm. And this can be exacerbated with postpartum anxiety and trauma. Other things can really oh, yeah. feed this cycle. Yeah, And it's really harmful to both partners because mom is building her own cage of patterns and responsibilities and invisible load. And dad's getting sort of, pushed outside the circle or the hub in a way Mm -hmm. at times. I agree with everything you said. Absolutely. And women should just do that. Just kidding. (laughs) And you lost (laughs) half your followers. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Gotta have some humor. No, of course not. But the problem is that's how we've been taught. I mean, I never came growing up. I was never, I didn't know anything about that growing up. So when you have a kid, you just think that's what you do. And it's kind of like Mm -hmm. not talked about. It's like a lack of conversation. To me, it comes back to a lack of conversation. Always, always a lack of conversation. And you see this with couples you work, right? It's like people aren't talking or they are talking, but they're not talking about what they actually need to talk about, right? They're kind of in the defensive state. Mm -hmm. And so part of it is, you're right, inviting the dad in to be part involved with the newborn phase. But I think part of it is a lot of dads don't know what to do. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know what to do. Like, how do I feel bonded? How do I help out with the night? Like, do I drink the bottle? Like, are they breastfeeding? Are they for, I mean, there's so many variants here. Is it solely breastfeeding up to formula fed somewhere in between? Like, what do I do? How do I support? And so I think some men can feel a lack of how do I help? Mm -hmm. Um, And you're Mm -hmm. right on the extreme, then the women could just take, will take everything on, but then I could build resentment or like no one's helping. So it's about conversation. And for me, I'll speak, you know, personally, our kids did not take bottles. We tried every lip and nipple you can think of every bottle everything from the cheap stuff to the most expensive bottles you could possibly imagine and i would sit there and try all three kids i would try for weeks and anything to give my wife a break to say because i want i wanted to i'm like i want to give you more rest like please and Mm -hmm. they would just scream bloody murder so both of us would make a decision like well i don't want to traumatize my kid either because now like they're like they haven't eaten in a while and I'm trying to like do the bottle thing mm-hmm. and they just aren't having it. So they're like rage scream crying. Yeah. yeah rage point, screaming. Right? And I'm like, like then you yeah. suddenly <laughs> feel like awful. Like, well, I don't want to like, you know, I don't want to traumatize my kid. Like they need food. And, and so, you know, but I found other ways to help. And for some people they can do bottles. And hey, if you can, great. Like we tried with each consecutive one and just didn't work out for us. And that's our story. But I found other ways to be involved. And that was how to wake up with her. I would always change you know, our rhythm now with our third. She's eight months. I always get up. I always change her diaper. First thing I get her soothed. I get her ready. So I'm always involved something. 
mm-hmm. for those nighttime feedings and say, I want to be here. I wake up and I take care of them. I, you know, and especially once they start eating food, I take over those feedings. But even earlier on, I would wake up sometimes in the middle of the night and I would just do skin to skin time with them and like, let me soothe them with the baby. And that would help me feel bonded and help the baby get bonded to me by that, you know, skin to skin and the oxytocin being released between me and my baby. But it comes down to conversation. And my wife would say, hey, can you help me with this? I'm like, okay, I will. And it's, again, that balance of what do I need? How do we help each other? And if we come from the approach of as a team and how do I support you? How do you invite me in? What can I do? And I think some mothers probably need to ask their husband for help. And some guys need to be open to, okay, I can be helpful here. It's not just the gendered thing of like women just do this, men just do this. But it's a team effort. Mm -hmm. And that dads do have a role in the power of dads in early brain development and again, for me, I really started feeling bonded to my kid. Like I would do skin to skin time and I loved them. I kissed them, but I still felt a disconnect a little bit. Mm-hmm. Not that I didn't love them. I was excited to be their father. But for me personally, where it even, I felt more connected. And this is for a lot of men is when they started to have a little more response facially to you. Mm-hmm. When they would give you a smile, maybe laugh at you. I would still always try to do things like skin to skin and, and, and help out, but that connection where I felt more bonded and was able to take on more is like when they started giving me that kind of the responses a bit. And then I started to feel that connection. And I know for my wife, she felt connected earlier on. And I know for some women, that's not the case. I know for some women, it takes some time too. I mean, the reality is it can take time. Yeah. It isn't just always instant. And I think sometimes we can feel guilty and bad about like, why don't I feel bonded? What's wrong with me? It's like, well, sometimes it just takes time for various reasons. Like you mentioned, there's so many factors that can cause that, whether it's PPD or past trauma, anxiety. I mean, there are other factors that can kind of come in the way, but we need to have conversation and seek support. We'll like have an understanding of, oh, that's why, that's why it's hard for me. Or here's how I can support my spouse or how I can be invited in to be helping as a dad. And it's not just this, you know, just do these very narrow gender roles, but no, it's about sharing responsibility, a teamwork. And if you do that again, I've seen such a success when people do that. I've seen them so more connected as a couple, as a family, when they can do that, like it is a night and day difference, Mm -hmm. but I know it can take time and there can be a lot of barriers for people, especially if there's past big barriers in the way that they have to overcome or if they're dealing with PPD, depression, like that could really be debilitating. Mm -hmm. And if it's undiagnosed, they're not getting help for it. That could really just be this big kind of glass barrier the person's stuck in and they can't seem to get past it mm-hmm. when there could be interventions to really help them. But whether it's the dad, cause you said one in 10, which is very true, one in 10 men. And that's not a common thing. And what's the percentage of women having PPD? It's much higher. One in five. One in five, and it's, yeah. it's like 50% more likely that dad will have it if mom has it. Right. So mom having it puts dad at very high risk. Right. Exactly. And understandably, like I went through postpartum depression and anxiety with my children, but especially after my third, like three young children home and it was a whirlwind. And I remember how it kind of like took me out and Mm. I was like underperforming in the partnership and how much more then fell to my partner to have to take on some of that load. So I can see how that high risk kind of just trickles down, right? Because it does put strain on the family as a unit. Mm-hmm. I think that it's really great to highlight the myth of bonding there because I think that how dads bond could be unique to them in their own ways that they're comfortable. The fact that they're not bonded right away, you know, is a myth that moms also can hold on to and feel guilt about as well. Yeah. I've written about it somewhere before. I can't remember where, where it's like 
we're meeting a stranger at this party that where there's like, you know, bodily fluids everywhere, legs are in the air, people like there's lights staring right in your vagina, like it could take a minute, you know, like this isn't the ideal first date to really like get cozy and acquainted. It's a little chaotic. So it's okay that it takes some time and some settling into your role. Now, I think what you had identified as being concerning is if you are finding that it doesn't feel like it's building. And and one of the things I'm curious to hear from your perspective is what are some of these red flags that we're looking for in our partners or dads, if they're listening, even Mm -hmm. themselves are like, oh, I feel that or I went through that. What are some things, some red flags? Yes. So some red flags that for men that are unique and women, of course, could experience some of these similar manifestations. But according to the research on men in PPD that I've read about and have been keeping up to date on are some things like men typically tend to be more easily struggling with irritability. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. Maybe even attacks of anger where they might be, they could go straight to anger zero to 10 quickly, or maybe they're normally not like that. Mm-hmm. And this is typically a difference from their standard kind of who they are in general, where it's like, whoa, there's something different going on here with dad, with partner, with husband. A lot of men too, a big one that men that this is not even in the, you know, you won't see this in like our manual for diagnosing, which I'm hoping one day gets added. I think it needs to be because the research shows us that a lot of men being numb and avoiding, emotionally numb, checked out. Mm-hmm. I've heard about this as like really throwing themselves into work and kind of avoiding going home. Totally. Like that's the one I've that's heard a, of. Yeah, oh, yeah, overworking because that's where they feel competent. Mm-hmm. I could fix this. I feel competent. I feel like I'm supporting. I'm bringing the money. Like, So it's a way to feel competent because at home, I don't feel competent. And so it's because I don't feel competent. Like, what do I do? Well, I can do this. But all the while, they're not really addressing what's really happening for them. And so that's a very practical way it can happen. Them also feeling like restlessness. A lot of dads also have a lot of self-criticism and guilt hmm. where they kind of criticize themselves for you know not bonding as well as maybe the lack of confidence. They might kind of feel less confident. And in some cases, actually, it will impact their work performance, where for some, they will throw themselves into work to feel more competent, and they do. But others, it affects their work confidence. It almost affects their entire level of confidence in who they think they are. But I think the big ones, again, is if you see your you as a man, or if you see your partner, is that they're more easily irritable, more easily angered, kind of more numbing, more checked out, more avoidance, if they're throwing themselves more into work, if they're more restless, those are some signs, not to say that it is, but those are some signs to pay attention to, to say, hmm, maybe I should look into this more. Maybe I should talk to, maybe we should have a conversation, me and my spouse, or maybe I should talk to a professional because maybe I am experiencing PPD or some of that anxiety. And obviously panic attack can happen too because there is that kind of postpartum anxiety. So men could have panic attacks. Mm-hmm. They could have significant anxiety where they don't know, but they feel kind of on edge all the time, that kind of hypervigilance and they can't seem to rest. That's that kind of postpartum anxiety, again, coming out of nowhere. So that's something else to pay attention to. So those are some of the the main ones, and there's some other ones, but just to keep it simple, those are what I'm seeing Mm -hmm. and what the research shows too. Yeah. And I'm thinking about it in terms of ways that it shows up in behavior and in sort of like day-to-day lives. I think that you had highlighted like going to anger as sort of like a first reaction and it's uncharacteristic, Uh, maybe avoiding home or I don't know. I think about like text messages or like maybe not feeling as readily available to the partner, like a little bit of withdrawing from their partner Mm -hmm. in their relationships. Yeah. What do you think about 
risk-taking behavior? Because I've heard of that being also associated with men who are struggling with depressive mood. Yeah. Yeah. So some of those risky behaviors, I mean, some of the common ones, if we see in in either a first-time use or an increased use of alcohol Mm -hmm. um, as a way to numb, right? I mean, to depress the anxiety or to deal with kind of the irritability or anger or feeling lack of confidence is, well, if I drink, I, well, well, not we all know, but it, it's effective. It's effective. I'm putting this in quotes for those listening. It's effective in the sense that it will momentarily address whatever the distress is, but it doesn't really deal with the problem. As we all know, it's just going to kick the can down the road, but that's a big one. Some men might even engage more drug use, especially cannabis now. That's more of a, a legal substance, at least in our state. You could see that increasing or first-time use. Sometimes men, they could turn to more of the things like pornography, other ways to mm-hmm. find release, maybe first-time use or kind of excessive use to deal with the stress. Eating, you could see men, you know, eating more unhealthy foods, sugars, sweets, things like that. Other times you might see them more disengaged by, you know, taking their device and just being checked out, scrolling mm-hmm. more, checked out, like maybe on YouTube or TikTok or, or they're binge watching you know, kind of just just on TV and just kind of just completely just numbed out because what they're doing is they're trying to deal with this but don't have the tools. Mm-hmm. And so they turn to these things that are unhealthy distractions that will help alleviate what they're feeling for them, but they feel stuck. And then the problem with these things, as, you know, as we all know, is that it will only create more problems for them, mm-hmm. um, for themselves personally, with their relationship with their spouse, because then the spouse is like, why are you on your TV? You know, why are you so checked out? Like, what are you doing? Like, but so it's this kind of lack of understanding of lack of communication. And then the guy's like, I'm fine, which again, goes into the whole stiff upper lip. I can't be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's that denial, 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 because again, I can't admit that I have a problem because if I do, then I'm weak. I'm all those things that I can't be. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's almost like a lot of men can get just stuck. Yeah. And there's no exit. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know your baseline and if you don't know that you have slipped into this funk, like, and I think that this is one of the like blessings of my experience is that I've been in this. And that gives me a really unique perspective where I was the one checked out on my phone because if I am not checking out. I'm so irritable that I'm going to rip everybody's head off. So let me just keep myself focused on something else. Even as a licensed therapist who worked in this field for 10 years and had experience in working with people with this, I could not see this in myself. I couldn't see how far I had gotten Mm. from who I was and how I was feeling. And there's this real sense of like, oh, this is what motherhood is. This is what it is to be a mom. Or this is what fatherhood is. This is must be what it is to be a father. Like I should just, you know, roll with the punches and accept these feelings. But I can tell you that if you are not feeling enjoyment in your role mm-hmm. or pockets and moments of joy and enjoyment and seeing rays of sunshine mm-hmm. and pockets in your experience as a parent, I would red flag that and I would really encourage you to reach out and talk to somebody. And Travis, where would you recommend that dads start in having this conversation and where where should they go for support? Yeah, first would be also real quick, PPD in men, it's not the standard that the DSM will say. It's more likely six to 12 months post. Mm. Three to six months is actually, six months is more of the standard. It's more of a slow burn with dads. Okay. So just said that that is a different, the research shows that some of this stuff, it takes longer to hit them. 
Mm-hmm. It is in that first, like within the month. What is the DSM? What, within the first four weeks? Is that what it is? I'm blanking. I don't have it in front of me. First four weeks. Do you know off the top of your head? Mm-hmm. I think with moms, we typically think that it's like onset anytime in the first year postpartum, but usually it's in the three, four month mark typically. Yeah, three, four months. Yeah, mm-hmm. but men is like six months, six to 12 months. Mm-hmm. Sometimes later they're even seeing, sometimes up to two years, but there's all this research mm-hmm. is still upcoming. But where can they go? Who can they talk to? Well, first, I would always encourage, if you can, work with your partner. Work with your spouse. I mean, that's your teammate. Yeah. That's who you really want to have this conversation with. But I get that some people might need, you know, dealing with such a variance of relationships. You know, what was your level of vulnerability pre-baby? You know, that's going to make an impact on what it is post-baby. So some people might need to see a couple therapists to kind of work on how do we actually have healthy conversations if they can't already have that mm-hmm. pre but if you can have healthy and feel safe and vulnerable, definitely talk to your spouse. Like mm-hmm. you both are going through this. So that's a great resource. Like, okay, we're both in this together. How do we support each other in this, to, in the cave? I always call it the six month cave. How do you support each other in the cave? Yeah. You both are in this sometimes survival, but how do you look at each other and acknowledge what you're doing well? And that's like starting where you feel safest too, right? I think there's yes, really yes, something yes, to yes. be said for, and we keep having these conversations internally in the company, like regardless of the severity intensity we might be feeling, if our level of readiness to engage with a service is not there, any light touch surface or conversation is something, right? right? It's something. Any heart to heart with your partner, starting with anyone you feel safest with to Mm -hmm. crack that open a little bit and see how they respond and to open up some dialogue is an amazing first step, as you said. Oh, totally. But then it goes back to some of the men are not opening up. Another thing is if they have good buddies they could talk to, Mm. but sometimes they won't talk to their buddies because, again, I can't tell them how I'm doing. So there is that there are a lot of themes of men just struggle. So they just don't. But if you can, if you talk to a friend, if you could talk to a well, I guess it would be your friend. I'd say a coworker, but if obviously someone you trust, if it's not your spouse, start somewhere mm-hmm. or maybe even a clinician if, or your doctor. If you're starting to notice something, maybe you feel comfortable talking to your family practice doctor. Okay. Start there. But like, I think what you said is key is where do you feel safest to actually tell it and starting somewhere, at least it gets it out to relieve some of the pressure Yeah. to say, Oh, I can say this. And if it's a safe person, they will be okay with it. Like, wow. Like they'll often offer empathy and understanding and they won't judge you. It's like, oh, I'm so glad you told me like a safe person, right? That's the first step. And then of course there's therapists and then depending on where you live, like you can look at your insurance and or call someone. But something else too, as an adjustment, two, three more things that I could add in that men face is friendships. Hmm. Okay, how do I engage friends? How do I have time for friends? Yeah. Now some of my guy friends only aren't dads, so I can't do what they do anymore. So I might have lost friends now. Yeah. Because feeling more isolated, just adding to that isolation, right? right? Just adding to it because I'm a dad now and I can't do what I used to do. So that's a big adjustment Mm. that I've also seen is the friendship adjustment of do they have other dad friends? Mm -hmm. Because if they don't, that could be hard because they're not going to understand the experience. And second, another big one is kind of how do I relate to my spouse, my wife? I feel like I've heard guys say this. I feel like I lost my wife a bit. Yeah. I've heard this a lot in a lot of different statements. It's a interesting Mm -hmm. dynamic because I think it's 67% of couples say that they're dissatisfied with their relationship in the first year to two years postpartum, according to Gottman research. I mean, we're going through adjustments as individually as a mother, individually as a father, but our relationship as its own entity is also adjusting, isn't it? Yep. 
then there's hormones adjusting. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, me and my wife, we found ways to connect through each kit, but there are some things that we just didn't do because hormonally there was, we're ready yet. You know, IE sex, that was one of them. Yeah. And that took time. Mm-hmm. And walking through, having conversations around that. How do I talk about that? Like, especially men, if I feel connected physically, but now I can't, how do I feel connected? Mm-hmm. How do mm-hmm. I work on other ways of connection? And I think that's something else that we need to open up more is how do we feel connected holistically to our partner and knowing that there is going to be a change, but how do we support each other in that change? Mm-hmm. So that's another big one I, I see a lot of that we need more conversations around. Yeah. And I'm even thinking about how you had said to open up and crack that pressure to like let some of it out. And I would say that if talking to somebody externally even feels too threatening, voice memoing or jotting something down in your phone serves as an acknowledgement and like a validating of your own feelings Mm -hmm. that hey, I'm going through a hard time. Like putting it down on paper for yourself even, I feel like is a is a micro step in the right direction to letting that pressure valve off a little bit. Mm. And so I think that when it comes to building tolerance for these emotions or having these conversations or building tolerance for vulnerability, more broadly speaking, start with where you're at. You know, like the goal has to be so realistic that you can actually try and do it and see how relieving that bit of pressure feels for you. And did you feel a little bit of a release after that? And, Mm -hmm. you know, did the story then start to reframe and become a a different narrative after you Mm -hmm. wrote it out? And so there's some things there even individually that can be done. And But as you said, if we don't have maybe that awareness or that insight and haven't learned these tools and how to do that, I think that... uh, professional, obviously like a therapist or a dad therapist such as yourself can help to guide you in that process. So where do you hang out online? Where can men, dads, partners, moms, where can they learn from you and your resources? Yeah. So online on the Instagram, it's therapy for dads with the number four. Also the podcast, same name. And I have a link tree on that. You could find me, but Apple podcast, any, anywhere's podcast is the same podcast. And then I have a YouTube channel as well where I do a little bit longer form content. That's actually my name, just youtube.com forward slash Travis Goodman, where I use some other long form content. I post clips from my podcast as well, video clips of kind of like condensed versions of kind of the meat, so to speak, of episodes. But that's kind of where I am currently. That's the best place to find me. Mm-hmm. And we'll make sure to link to all of that in the show notes. And I feel like we've just like skimmed the surface of some of the stuff I've really wanted to ask you about today. So I have a sneaky suspicion we'll have you back and we'll hash out more of these fatherhood and dad topics. But I appreciate your time and you being here with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Erica. It's been a pleasure. You know that feeling when a plane is just taking off and then you have to land it? That's how I felt in this interview because there is just so much that I wanted to pick Travis's brain about. But don't worry, I've already had a sidebar chat with him about coming back to help us understand partner's perspective more and to share in how we can continue to be on the lookout and support them. If you've been listening to this episode, whether you are mom or whether you are partner and you're feeling like your partner has been struggling to adjust, I encourage you to book in a free 15-minute consult with one of the therapists in our wellness center. Our therapists work with moms, dads, partners. They bring partners in as support. 
There are all kinds of ways that therapy can be shaped to suit your needs, and this includes partners as well. We don't want anybody isolated, feeling alone, and feeling like they're the only ones that struggle. For Canadian listeners, reach out and book a free consult with one of our therapists at happyasamother.co slash wellness. That's happyasamother.co slash wellness. And for international listeners, I encourage you to head to psidirectory.com and find a maternal mental health or perinatal mental health therapist that can serve you in your area. That's psidirectory.com. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I'm being joined by therapist Whitney Goodman, or as you may know her, Sit With Wit on Instagram, to discuss her debut book, Toxic Positivity, Keeping It Real in a World Obsessed with Being Happy. There is no shortage of toxic positivity when it comes to trying to conceive, being pregnant, or postpartum. You do not want to miss this conversation with Whitney of Sit With Wit. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast. To join the Happy as a Mother VIP list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to happyasamother.co slash newsletter. Until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing an amazing job. Settling is not an option. For Everything me. I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? <laughs> because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls.